Well, hello, listeners. This is Marsha Epstein with Talk With Me on LawrenceHits.com in Lawrence, Kansas. And this show is always conversation, better have some laughter, some readings when my guest is a writer, some music when my guest is a musician, and sometimes the talk might even slip in some little things for you to think about, ooh, but in the best way, you know, because everything we do, there are things that we can learn from each other, you know? So as we're talking real life stories, sometimes there are things that become a nudge. And I would say my, my overall nudge is to get out and do things, try things, be around people that you haven't been around before and support things in your community, like take money to put in the tip jar when you go even to free readings and music shows, you know? buy a book by a local artist, a card by a local artist, things like that, instead of that extra fancy, extra big coffee drink from the expensive coffee shop, you know? Um, really show your appreciation and support for things that are going on. Smile at people that you encounter, especially the ones that probably don't get a lot of smiles, you know? It's, it's pretty cool when you can realize that somebody has actually looked you in the eye and you've smiled and their face has lit up and it didn't look like that before that little encounter. That, that's a huge thing. And I know it can be scary, like, oh, I'm afraid to do that. That's That creates anxiety for me. It's like, you know what? It's somebody you don't know what's going to happen. You know, they're <laughs> it's not like you're going to have to see that person again and again and feel embarrassed because they didn't smile back at you. I'm just saying, take a little risk. Stand up. Don't stand by. And I do believe in getting out in nature too, but I won't talk about that right now. But that is one of the things that lifts my spirits. And we all need things that lift our spirits. So I am going to finally introduce my guest, who is coming to us from the great state of New Jersey. And I am excited because I know this person knows some other poets who I know, including another poet in New Jersey, who I think is one of the best, uh, connector and all that kind of stuff. My guest today is B. Deal, and that would be D-I-E-H-L. Just give me that hint so when you want to look for him online, his author page, those kinds of things, D-I-E-H-L. So welcome, B. How are you doing today? Hi, Marsha. I'm doing good. How are you? Good, good, good. I am drinking my coffee, listening to the birds, seeing how beautiful it is outside, because I get to record in my dining room, which has huge windows. I'm doing pretty good. <laughs> awesome. Yeah. I am uh, sitting in the Walmart parking lot. That's where I'm doing this. <laughs> Bummer. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was going to do it at home, but like currently we have a major fly problem, and it was driving me crazy, so I just oh. had to get out and... Yes. Yeah, yes, like, yes. I live by a farm, so uh, apparently they put fertilizer down, and now there are just flies all over the neighborhood. <laughs> so does that mean that it smells bad around you as well as flies? No, like, I don't live okay. that close to the farm to the point where <laughs> I can, like, smell the fertilizer, but close <laughs> enough. <laughs> yeah, uh, it's, it's really bizarre. Yeah, that's unfortunate. Yeah. <laughs> So that makes me think of those old school fly strips that people sometimes have and how disgusting those are too, because then you see all the dead flies stuck on the glue paper and it's like, I don't know what oh, the solution is here. <laughs> I have those. Yeah. I have those all over my house right now. I walked into one this morning. <laughs> yeah. It's stuck in my hair. Like I have oh, dead flies in my hair. Yeah, I'm so sorry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It was pretty bad. It was a good uh, wake up call though. I feel more awake now. <laughs> Adrenaline came out in large quantities through your body going, get me away from here. Yeah, exactly. Yes, yes, yes. Well, tell us a little bit about you, because obviously you are my guest, and that means you're doing some special stuff that we want to share with the world. So tell us a little bit about you. Well, I am a poet, as you know, from New Jersey. I've lived here forever in Phillipsburg. Um been writing forever, but I just started writing poetry a few years ago, like uh, at the beginning of 2013. So I'm still pretty new to poetry, but I love it. It's 
pretty much my life. That's all I do, you know. When you aren't sitting in a Walmart parking lot. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah. We're swatting. Maybe flies. I'll write about this. Yeah, that too. <laughs> yeah. So you said you've been writing forever. What's what's that for you? Like, because I mean, obviously there are people who write, and there are people who haven't thought that that was something that they could do, should do, would do, you know, what's, what got you to start writing? Um, it's something I got into as a kid, really. I was always mm -hmm. interested in journaling, you know, I always had those mm -hmm. composition notebooks, and I would just fill them completely. And uh, I, I don't know, I guess, when I got into my 20s, I just, I got interested in poetry, because I finally started reading poetry that I actually liked. Mm -hmm. And I learned that, you know, it doesn't have to rhyme. Right. It doesn't have to be impossible to understand, you know. Yeah. It could be whatever you want it to be. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I loved when I was talking to a poet who's based here in Lawrence, Kansas, uh, poet and musician Mark Hennessy, and him talking about writing. He used this phrase, which I thought was his phrase, but then he confessed it wasn't his phrase. But I loved this. It was saying that, you know, in good writing, you eschew obfuscation. <laughs> <laughs> what does that mean? <laughs> yeah, wow. It's a perfect phrase. <laughs> yeah, I like that. <laughs> so journaling since you were a kid. Now, I'm going to be generalizing about gender and saying that that's interesting to me um, that I, I often have heard males say that they started writing um, related to crushes and wanting to, um, you know, inspire someone to like them. And and you said your writing started very personally. I think that's very interesting. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I'm kind of, I'm a very feminine male, so maybe that's why. <laughs> so was your sense that there was a lot going on like, do you, do you have, as an adult now, do you have a sense of what that was about for you as a kid that you wanted to document your life? Um, I don't, you know, I've always just, like, documenting things, and I've always been kind of a loner. So, like, mm -hmm. I never had a lot of friends, and I didn't have many people to vent to, so I would just vent to a notebook. Uh -huh. And I still pretty much do the same thing. So uh -huh. it's always worked for me, you know. Uh -huh. It's a good outlet. Yeah. And I think that's really true. And I think... Gosh, I think for a lot of people at young ages, writing is one of those things, or creating art, whatever kind, whether it's word art or paintings or whatever, that having some extra tools for self-expression can help keep people pretty much healthier, like not doing things yeah. that they're going to get in a bunch of trouble for. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Are you also somebody who has some other arts that you do in addition to writing? I mean, I play the guitar, but poetry is definitely my main thing. It's my true love, I guess. Mm -hmm. <laughs> mm -hmm. So poetry, and you mentioned that, that in your 20s you discovered some poets who you really liked and, and in ways that, that really relate to me as well, that my concept of poetry before from you know old classes in middle school and high school was pretty negative and then when yeah I really started looking at well what is poetry now who are some poets that you know people i know are reading and liking it's like oh man this is nothing like what i thought <laughs> yeah exactly <That's> awesome <laughs> and that's, yeah that's like i was never thing. Yeah, I was never really into, like, uh, Shakespeare or anything like that. I mean, obviously, Shakespeare had a lot of talent. I just, I don't know. It just never really resonated with me, I guess. Mm -hmm. I found it kind of boring. But then I started reading, like, E.E. Uh, e. Cummings and Sylvia Plath and stuff like that, and I just loved it. Uh -huh. And, uh, yeah, that just made me want to write my own, I guess. Uh-huh. And, and obviously some of the more straightforward poets like, you know, Charles Bukowski and stuff like that. Yeah. Where you are, was there an opportunity at that point in your life to, to get out and hear poets? I don't, I don't know what size community Phillipsburg is. I apologize. I didn't kind of look into that kind of stuff. 
what you know did did you have people around to go see as well or was it mostly reading and doing this on your own it was completely on my own like i didn't have any friends who even read books or anything when i started <laughs> <laughs> yeah Holy books can be bad. little man they are so intimidating <laughs> yeah but then you know i live like right on the right on the bridge of like um phillipsburg new jersey and eastern pennsylvania and eventually I realized that there is actually a poetry scene in Easton, Pennsylvania. So I started venturing over there. It's only 10 minutes from me. And uh, I started setting up a lot of readings over there. I finally met some poets that I can be friends with and talk to. <laughs> so that's nice. Uh -huh. that, yeah, that's huge to, to have that camaraderie, that support and, you know, that connection. So when did you start doing your poetry publicly like i don't know if you do many readings in public or mostly it's through your published work whether it's online or in books but when, when did you make that step to really share your poetry um i started sharing it online in i think the first time i got accepted into a magazine was um, 2014 it was this mm -hmm. little journal called cartagena journal which doesn't even exist anymore but uh <laughs> that was when I decided I would, you know, I made like an author page on Facebook. I started sharing all my work and then eventually I started uh, setting up readings too. So mm -hmm. it was fun. And I so love doing readings do you, now. What communities do you, do you have you like are sort of the places where you're likely to be heard in person? Uh, like I said, you know, there's Eastern Pennsylvania, a lot in Pennsylvania, like Allentown, Bethlehem, uh, from time to time, I like to venture over to Keyport, New Jersey. I have some good friends over there, like when, Damian Rucci, yeah. who you had on your show. Yeah, well, that's I who I was Damian. alluding to at the beginning. I think Damian's awesome. I mean, he's I love his, him. not only is his poetry good, but he's one of those people who wants to bring other people into this and, and help them, you know, grow their work. And I really appreciate yeah. him like that. Yeah. Yeah, he does so much for the New Jersey poetry community. It's amazing. Like you go over to Keyport in this little coffee shop and he's hosting these huge events and people are like yeah. packed in there like sardines or whatever. And it's just awesome. That's, cool. <laughs> That's very cool. Yeah. Yep. So, so you got kind of a set of poet friends these days and some places where you do. And you have a show that you host, right? Yeah. In Catasauqua, Pennsylvania which is basically Allentown. It's a tiny little town. Uh, it's called I Hate Poetry. <laughs> uh, it's new. I've only, I've only hosted two events so far. I have another one on Sunday. Uh -huh. And uh, going good so far. You know, I'm hoping to bring some new people from outside of the Lehigh Valley to read. So uh -huh. we'll see what happens. Uh -huh. And when I was looking at that, because you have a Facebook page for that, it seems like there are also maybe sometimes when there are other kinds of performances. Is that right? That that some like I don't know. People sometimes play music or other things as as sort of at the end of the open mic of poetry. Yeah, like what I do is I'll book you know five or six featured poets, but then at the end I have what I like to call an anything goes open mic, mm -hmm. where you don't necessarily have to read poetry. You can bring a guitar up there. You can do cartwheels. You know whatever you want. <laughs> <laughs> I I like those kinds of of, of shows and. I will say that every year on September 10th, which is World Suicide Prevention Day, I host a show that started as the first year it was poetry. And then it's like, oh, it needs to be more than that. And so the, then it became some poets, some stand-up comedians, some musicians, some storytellers. Yeah. And so a mix of things, a mix of, of sort of oh, moods or, you know, whatever you want to say. But it was, but it's something I really love. Um, bringing together people with with diverse kinds of ways of of using their words and and you know diverse experiences visibly and otherwise and you know that that connection thing that happens when people hear somebody at the mic and go man that person's saying stuff that's in my head and then they yeah. get to go thank that person for for sharing those words you know I I I know you know. I mean, I've seen that happen. I've, I've, I've been one of those people who's gone up to a poet I did not yet know and said, man, when you did this piece, you know, and then, you know, sort of shared a little bit about how meaningful that was to me because of my own personal experiences. It's like, that's, that to me is one of the beauties of, of poetry that's shared. Yeah, I love that. I've been, yeah. I've been trying to like, uh, 
talk to people more, you know. I'm socially awkward. I tend not to talk to people like that. Uh-huh. But I've been trying to do it more just because I know how encouraging it is. So if I really do love somebody's work, I make it a point to tell them, you know. Yeah. And, I mean, you said you're you're a little socially awkward, anxious, however you want to label that. Yeah. And I would say that many, many, many of the poets that I talk to on air uh, will say that about themselves, that... You know, it's like it's one thing to read my poetry. It's a whole other thing to actually have a conversation with the person I don't know. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and and I, I'm saying that because it's it's pretty common. It's pretty common for people who are in the audience as well as people who are on the stage. You know, and so it's like it's so great. My 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 work, you know, it kind of comes through in the way that I talk to people. But my work is that I'm, I'm a mental health social worker, actually mostly with suicide prevention, but um, yeah. I, I know that there's so much benefit in people being able to acknowledge how they feel, you know, I feel kind of anxious, and then being able to say, and I want to do this thing, and so I'm going to do it with my anxiety in tow. <laughs> So yeah, we can do things. It's not like when I don't feel anxious anymore, I will do this thing. It's like, no, 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 don't don't put that that limit on yourself. Go ahead and try it. <laughs> yeah, as cliched as it is, just be yourself. You know, like when I host my uh, I hate poetry events, I go up there and I make it a point to be like, hi, everyone. I'm socially awkward. So uh, <laughs> and I'll just start like that. <laughs> and just breaks the ice and people are going, man, me too. How does he doing that? Wow. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I like to think it's encouraging for other people when they're like, oh, he's socially awkward. Maybe I could do this too. <laughs> yeah. And I think that's very true. I really do. Uh, yeah. and, and maybe they'll get to be a point when you get to say, I used to be pretty socially awkward, but I think I'm doing a little better these days. <laughs> yeah. Hopefully one day that'll happen and I'll be able to say that. <laughs> but only when it's genuine. Only when it's genuine. Yeah. Yeah, I'm not gonna lie. Yeah. So you've been writing poetry for a long time. I mean, fr- from my perspective, you you were saying not so long, but you said you know since 2013, which means you know that's four years ago. That's a long time. So you've been yeah. writing and getting some things published. You know, starting the year after that in 2014, you got something published and. And you, you know, it's like, so, so your, your poetry has really grown quickly. It sounds like to me. Yeah. That's, I think it's just about putting in the work, you know, like, um, when I started, I was working full time and I was, uh, taking online college classes too. So it was really hard, but at the same time, I just, I put as much time into my poetry and submitting it to places as I did with my schoolwork and my day job, you know? Mm -hmm. Just, and I had like no social life because of this, but I didn't care. You know, I wanted to embrace my passion, I guess. So. That's great. That's great. Do yeah. you have a sense of, of how you kind of got directed to those poets who you really liked? Because that was obviously a turning point to, to be reading stuff. It's like, oh, this, yes, this, I want to do this. You know, did <laughs> you over there to Cummings and Plath and different people? Yeah. Um, it took a while for me to really start finding a ton of poets that I like, because now I have like hundreds of poetry books that I love. Mm-hmm. And um, a lot of them were just discovered online. And a lot of these poets that I love are still alive. And some mm-hmm. of them are really young, like in their 20s. Mm-hmm. And uh, I just started getting into like all these underground presses and buying a bunch of books from them, like Epic Rights Press. I love that. I love Wolfgang Karstens. Yes, Epic Rights Press. <laughs> Yeah, just yeah. stuff like that. Yeah. And that's that's really cool because I think that when you find and you know, Night Ballet Press, right? Is that isn't that who published am I wrong? No, that's sorry. White Gorilla, is that yours? T- tell me who your publisher is for Zellers. Yeah, it's White Gorilla Press. White I discovered Gorilla. them uh on Amazon actually. Mm-hmm. I was just browsing and uh you know how when you buy a book on Amazon at the bottom sometimes it'll be like Oh, since you liked this book, you might yeah. like this book. Yeah, and I clicked on this book by a poet I had never heard of named Dave Newman, and it was called The Slaughterhouse Poems, and I clicked like the look inside option, and I started reading some of the poems, and I was like, wow, this guy's really good. And uh-huh. I bought his book, and uh-huh. he's like one of my favorite poets now, and White Gorilla Press put out his first uh, poetry collection. Okay. And one thing led to another, and I eventually just sent my manuscript over to them and Mike, the founder of White Gorilla was like, 
I really like this. I'm going to publish this. And I was like, what? Really? Very cool. <laughs> Very cool. Yeah. yeah. And so, so my plea to people is use Amazon kind of like you use the Wikipedia page for information. And when you can, yeah. go to the author, go to the small press, go to your local independent bookseller to buy the book. When you can, when you can. I realize that doesn't always work. But... Yeah. <laughs> Just a little note to our listeners that, that there's a more impact on the artist, uh, more benefit financially to the artists to support their work when we're buying closer to the artist. So, hey, but Amazon has, I mean, that, that's where a lot ends up. You know, you can find a lot of good information. Uh, yeah, it's true. Anyway. So that's cool. So so it was thanks to the you might like this, other people bought this book kind of thing on Amazon that you ended up finding the publisher who loved your work and published it. Yeah. Yeah. People like to hate on Amazon, but if not for Amazon, I probably wouldn't have a book out right now. Yeah. So. <laughs> I don't hate Amazon. I just like like I was saying, when when it can be more more direct to link to the person. And I think that's true in other ways too. I also encourage people to, if there's a farmer's market in your area, go there, you know, pay the person who's yeah. this stuff rather than pay somebody who's, you know, many steps removed and, and many extra things added on and much more time between the actual harvesting and the consumption. You know, it's, it's a yeah. thing to, to be as close as you can to where it comes from. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. yeah, and I do like to buy books directly from authors. That's you know, yeah. if I can, because I just like having signed copies of things. You know. Yeah, me too. Yeah, sometimes on the Talk with Me page um, or the Voice of Lords Poetry page, I'll post a picture that is like these are some books on my bookshelf at this moment, and you know it's it's cool, and you know, and, and I know people can't read all of the titles by any means because it's a lot of little skinny books for the most part, but. It means a lot to me when I realize I remember talking to this person and, and the little note that's in this book. And, you know, it's like, ah, it's cool to have your own books that, that have, yeah. you know, especially like you're saying, the ones that are signed by, by the poets, uh, by the author, you know, it doesn't have to just be a poet. That's, that's really cool. And it's, and it's good to, you know, it's good to be, like I say, it's good to spend your money there. Like, we, you know, we talk about this in a big picture way sometimes about, you know, well, our government doesn't support blah, 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 because where they put their money is here. But that's true yeah. for us individually. You know, how we really spend our time and how we really spend our money speaks to our priorities. So, you know, when you, yeah, you have that little extra bit of money that you might spend on something and you choose, you know, whatever you choose, it's like, okay, that's, that's saying that's what's most important to you at that moment. And sometimes it's kind of an impulse thing. It's like, I just ran into these friends. I'm going to go out and have dinner and it's going to cost some money and I wasn't planning on it, but I'm going to do it because of my friends. I want to do this thing together. Sometimes it can be more strategic. It's like, I want to make sure, like the poet John Yamras, and I don't know if you know John. He's also published. Yeah, by, I, know, I know John. Okay. He's published by Epic Rights Press and other places. And John has a personal commitment that he buys a book of poetry every week, you know? And yeah, that's, that's awesome. Yeah, and it's like, it's not, you know, I'm not saying he spends, you know, $50 a week on books, you know, and because and, really when we start looking at it, most of the poetry books that we're going to buy from a single author are mostly going to be small and most of them are going to be books, you know, that cost $8 to $15 or something like that, you know? yeah. Yeah, and so it's it's manageable for a lot of us. Not everybody, but for a lot of us. So we're blah, 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 talking about things. I would love to have you share some of your poetry. Let's get a, a sense of what some BDL poetry sounds like. Sure. Let's see. I am in the Walmart parking lot, but luckily I have a copy of my book here. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I'll read. I don't uh... think you bought it at Walmart, though, right? <laughs> <laughs> I will read uh, this one from my collection, Zeller's Alley. It's called Wallet. On your way home from work, you stop at a liquor store for smokes. You walk in, point to a pack, and the clerk rings it up. When you open your wallet, out fall your photos. Deceased relatives, drifted off friends, the girl who left you for a guy named Dick. You pick up your photos and stick them behind your social security card. 
the constant little reminder that you are merely a number. One number out of billions. A speck of shit on a cockroach's ass. Your wallet is thin, so you pull out your credit card. Another unwanted reminder, this time of your debt-induced gloom. Your rundown loft without heat. Your wardrobe of clothes all stained and torn. The broken dishwasher. The rat nest in the bathroom. The overdue rent. The landlord's rage. Anything else for you today, asks the clerk. Yes, you say. A pint of Everclear. That's yeah. <laughs> That's real life. Yep, yep, yep. Yeah. It's always interesting when people ask you that question. You know, is there something else I can do for you? It's like, you? No, probably not. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like, there's a lot of things I need, but I don't know if you can give them to me. <laughs> Or the other one is, I mean, I always think about this shit. I was away when my mother died. I was away at a conference. I had to get back. And I was, well, the, the conference was in Santa Fe, New Mexico. And so it's a little little complicated getting out of Santa Fe because there's not an airport there and all that stuff. So got all these uh -huh. arrangements, which included taking a shuttle from where I was to Albuquerque, where the airport is. And the shuttle driver is like, it's a beautiful day. Smile, blah, blah, blah. Like, you know what? You have yeah. no idea what's going on in my day. So shut up is what I wanted to say. <laughs> I mean, I didn't, but it's like, God, how presumptuous. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. So Zeller's Alley, tell us a little bit about what that title is. The title? Yeah, what that um... came from, Zeller's Alley. Zeller's Alley is an actual street that is in Phillipsburg, and it is the street that divides my street from my ex-girlfriend's street. So, oh, okay. It's like a metaphor, I guess. Dividing line. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, and there's no mention of Zeller's Alley in the book, which is kind of funny. So all the time people are like, what is Zeller's Alley? What is yeah, that? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I have to explain every time. Well, you don't have to explain, and you could make up a different story whenever you want to. <laughs> yeah, I could start being really vague about it. Like, there's some really insanely deep meaning behind it. I'm just like, yeah, I don't know. You got to yeah. figure it out. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was like, a, a, oh, man, and I had a, a, a winter when, when I broke my leg, and I broke my leg walking with my dog, our dog who I adore, in deep oh. snow on and the neighborhood i live in has hill kind of hills it for i mean it's it's sort of hard to describe it's not like big things but enough that it's there's downhill and uphill and brick old brick sidewalks old neighborhood and and i fell yeah. just the wrong way and broke my leg and you know people are like you need to make up a better story it's like yeah i should i don't i don't have it in me at this moment <laughs> At some point, I'll make up some fabulous story. And then I was reminded of my son, who's now a stand-up comedian, among other things. He's in Portland, Oregon, and, and he's probably always had kind of this interesting humor about him. He was a little kid at one point, like probably just about, I don't know, about five or six. Um, he and, and, and his older brother and some friends were having rough housing i'll just use that word and and yeah. my son fell in just the wrong spot hit his uh like right under his eyebrow on the corner of a table which meant mass oh. quantities of blood because that's what happens when you hurt something around your <laughs> skull that, that there's not much between you know, so the blood comes right out. And so this, this yeah. kid, and so of course had to have stitches and all that. And and two days later we were headed to DC. So it, he was gonna be seeing a hockey game anyway. That was one of the things he loved hockey at that point. So uh -huh. he said he wanted to tell people that what happened to his eye was that he got hit by a hockey puck at the game. <laughs> <laughs> Like that's, oh, that's a much funny. better story than I hit the corner of the table. <laughs> I have so. this friend, and he, uh, my friend, uh, one time he got a mole removed, and somehow they really screwed it up, like, and they cut way too deep to the point where he had to, like, get stitches and everything. Mm -hmm. And then people would be like, why do you have stitches on your shoulder? And he'd be like, I got bit by a shark. 
Yeah, yeah, I like it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Not really believable, but, you know, I guess yeah. Yeah. he liked telling that story. So. Yeah, but there's some people go, oh, my God, I didn't know people survived that. He goes, yeah, I'm one of the few. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I like stories. It's pretty obvious, huh? Yeah. Well, on this laughter note, I think I'm going to say let's take our break right now and then we'll be back with more conversation and more poetry because we've only heard one so far from the deal. <laughs> All right. Yeah, we're going to hear from a couple of the Lawrence, Kansas businesses that sponsor lawrencehits.com. And I genuinely say thank you to Daniel Smith, who produces the show because I get to concentrate on the conversation while Daniel gets to concentrate on the technology. And that works well for me and I hope it works well for him too. Thank you, Daniel. And we'll be right back. Welcome back to Talk With Me. This is Marcia Epstein and my guest today is B. Deal in New Jersey, Phillipsburg, New Jersey. And I guess we were kind of talking about truth and fiction and so, <laughs> I don't know if that's going to inspire some other kinds of poetry from you. It's like, who knows? But I want to make sure that people get to hear more of your poetry as well as our conversation and also how they can buy the book. <laughs> All right. Um, yeah. I will read another from my collection, Zeller's Alley. This one is called Voodoo Doll. When the secret sprouted from his throat like a jet black rose, my own mouth tasted of chlorophyll for weeks. I couldn't sleep, reading was useless, and everything on television seemed to be in a foreign language. Fourteen years prior, I had seen his mother beat him, all because he begged her for some $2 Spider-Man toy. That nutjob wailed on him until his head was a pink pulpy grapefruit. He did not fight back. He just waited. Before I knew it, I was listening to punk bands and getting concerned looks from school teachers. I was nine years old. At 12... I watched him pick a half-smoked cigarette from my father's ashtray, light it up. Mitch, I said, you're smoking? He shrugged, coughed, took another puff. By the time I was 14, my lungs were a chemical waste dump. Within the next four years, I became his personal first responder, always answering his calls before the second ring. But when his soulmate left him in 2010, my quarter-life crisis began. Nicholas Sparks' novels became my Bibles. The sight of old men sitting alone in diners made me throw temper tantrums until I was escorted out by security. Months passed. Snow fell and melted. He showed up one day, unemployed, drunk as Ireland, on my doorstep at 4.45 in the morning. Mitch, what are you doing here? I found my purpose, B. I'm at peace. And when the secret sprouted from his throat like a jet black rose, I tried to pinch myself awake from a truth too greasy to grip. Anxiety dwelled. My flesh was unfazed. But when he pulled out that needle and stuck it into his arm, I felt everything. Wow. Yeah. And tell us, it's a tell heavy us one. about that poem. Like, where did that come from? Um, well, the character Mitch was inspired by a few different friends that I had. We have a major heroin problem over in New Jersey. Mm -hmm. I actually lost two really good friends to heroin, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. So... I just had to write something about it, you mm -hmm. know. Mm -hmm. And I'm, gosh, I, I sometimes lose names when I'm thinking about different poems that I've heard and trying to get my brain to connect to somebody else's poem recently read and heard about losing friends to heroin overdoses and that person's journey through life. Yeah, it's, it's hard, hard stuff. Yep. Yeah. Especially when you have to see the entire process, you know, watch somebody deteriorating yeah. from heroin. Yeah, it yeah. sucks. Yeah. And it raises my rage at so many people who wouldn't be on that path if it weren't for a stupid, greedy doctor at some point, you know, or yeah. other kinds of things. I mean, reading and I, where I am in Lawrence, Kansas, sort of surprisingly is not someplace where we're experiencing a lot related to that particular type of drug. And well, that's good. Issues. We were a place where with the University of Kansas is a big um, uh, 
university for our state, um, kind of known as the liberal part of our state. Um, certainly in the 60s and 70s, there was a lot about drugs in this part of the, the state, different things going on here. So in some ways I'm surprised that we don't also have the opioid issue going on right now in the blatant way that I, I hear about in the East. It's very sad. That is surprising. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's pretty bad over here. And so by talking about it, you know, there are some people who will get wake up calls. There are some people who will get friends realizing maybe they can, can at least try to help, you know, to get somebody back on track. Um, yeah. As opposed to just giving up. But for some, you know, I realize there are some people who've lost a lot of friends and been close to that themselves in terms of, you know, being alive, but knowing it could have been them as well. It's hard stuff. Yeah, and the worst thing you can do, like if you have a friend who's an addict, the worst thing you can do is like yell at them if they relapse or something, because yeah. then they're going to be afraid to tell anybody what they're yeah, doing, and exactly. then they're not going to get help. So. Yeah. And I think that's true with you know anything that that somebody's trying trying to change or knowing they should change. You know that. We've yeah. got to be open to knowing it's never an easy process. And yeah. like you're saying, keep, keep the communication open. We've got to be able to hear when it isn't going well as well as when it is going well. And, you know, we, we need to, to have patience and compassion and know that, I mean, I, I really do believe that everybody's trying their best. They really are, yeah. you know. Sometimes we need to do better, yes, but but we're at least trying. And and the other part is, there's something about what we're doing that is working in some ways. You know, most of the people I know who've had really serious issues with their substance use have gotten there because real life was not very much worth living, and at least they didn't feel that pain all the time when yeah, they started yeah. using and then sometimes the use gets out of control and adds more problems. So, so yeah. you know, acknowledging this, you know, thanks to that poem, again, the message to people is, hey, if you're struggling with this or if you have friends, family who are struggling with this, you know, connect and talk and, and try to be support, you know, try to get support, try to find those people who will understand and not just judge. Um, that's that's super important. Yeah. Yeah. You know, there's always this ongoing debate that I see online where some people will say that addiction isn't a disease. And if people really wanted to get clean, then they would. But I don't agree with that. I think it is a disease. And, you know, honestly, for me, whether you call it a disease or not, isn't as important as recognizing that if it were easy to change, whatever we're doing that's not right, if it were easy to change, man, we would do it. You know, I hate it exactly. when people start throwing out, well, you just need to do blah, blah, blah. It's like, you think I haven't thought of that? You know, I'm not stupid. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. And people who say this probably have never had a problem with addiction. So yeah, yeah. it's just silly. Yeah, and unfortunately, there's lots of people affected. So yeah. before I so rudely interrupted you, were you going to share another poem right now, or should we just move back into let's talk about life? Uh, I'll read one more. I'll read a short one from my Go book. Ahead. This one is called Make Art, Not Money. <laughs> money, money is disposable. Art will outlive you. To fully embrace life and the human condition is to work your fingers down to the yellow bone and bleed all over a canvas, a page, an old guitar. Some of the laziest people I know work 40 hours a week at their day jobs. That's it. And the bleeding and the, the bleeding on the page, that, that one comes up a lot. <laughs> and, and oh, yeah. Anyway, yeah, I was reading, I don't know whether you see this, there's a, an artist named Austin Kleon who has a, uh, a newsletter, an email newsletter, and, and in the one that was in my inbox today, and it's Austin Kleon, K-L-E-O-N. Um, and today he had something, one of his, his topics was about the remix of Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band. Um, 
and there's a whole there's a whole lot going on with that. I'm not trying to go there, but but he had a particular link to an article to a, a yeah a couple pages about Paul McCartney and his bass lines, and as he, they were talking about some of the things that he did to make those bass notes particularly powerful in the music. The, the writer is saying, and literally he would be practicing playing until his fingers were bleeding all over the guitar. <laughs> Sometimes <laughs> yeah, that's, that's awesome. what it takes to, to work that long, that hard, you know? Um, yeah. An, an interesting concept um, that it's like, eh, it doesn't sound really great, but it, but it shows, as somebody who has done a little bit of guitar playing and lessons and practice, and knowing knowing how that is difficult for your fingers, you know that the the skin of your fingers. You you play guitar, you know that. I mean, it's like, yep, it, it, yeah. <laughs> guitar strings and skin of fingers don't really go together very well. <laughs> no, you get you know you get calluses on your fingertips, and you keep playing, the calluses break open. It's, it's just crazy. Uh, yeah. And then you bleed all over your guitar while my guitar gently bleeds. <laughs> Yeah, literally bleed instrument. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> With your guitar playing, do you sometimes uh, create songs in terms of lyrics as well as playing guitar? Yeah, I do. You know, it's mostly just a side hobby. Like I said, I don't think I'd ever like go public with my music the way I did with my poetry. It just, I don't know. I don't have to be public. I just, I just wondered if you know that, because I've also had people say, you know, yeah, they do, but guitar, excuse me, um, song lyrics are very different than a lot of their yeah. poetry because of, you know, the repetition of certain parts and just the way songs are are sort of formatted or whatever you want to call that compared to a poem that isn't necessarily going to have a stanza that repeats. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. And sometimes, you know, when you're writing lyrics, you kind of want it to rhyme or kind of rhyme, you know, just mm -hmm. so it sounds good when you're singing it. Mm -hmm. But, you know, poetry is totally different. Yeah. Yeah. So in your life, in addition to writing, you know, any any place, any little blurb about you refers to you and cats. So tell us a little bit about you and cats. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I love cats. <laughs> You know, I know so many writers who are dog people, like John Yamaris, who loves uh -huh. dogs, but yeah. I don't know. I'm just a cat person. I love cats. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. <laughs> so do you have a cat or two or more that live with you at this point? Yeah, I have two cats, and they're uh -huh. they're assholes, but I love them. <laughs> <laughs> and they fight with each other a lot. <laughs> I also have a dog who is horrified of my one cat. Oh, like my dog will not even go near my one cat. He's just absolutely horrified of him. So, so you have a cat who's the alpha in your pack. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. It's funny because he's so sweet around people. Like uh -huh. he loves people, but he absolutely hates other animals. Huh. It's so weird. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, where did these pets come from? How did you acquire these two that you currently live with? Um. Well. My one cat, who is a tabby cat, his name is Robert, and uh, I got him probably 10 years ago. You know, my cousin's friend uh, had a cat who had a bunch of kittens, so I took one of the kittens. Uh -huh. And uh, Henry, I've had him for only a couple of years now. I had these like crackhead neighbors, and they moved out, and they just left their cat in the house with mm -hmm. no food or no food or water or litter box or anything. Mm -hmm. So I went over there and I just took him. I was like, all right, you're coming with me. Come on. Very good. Very good. Yeah. And you have to fit? take him to the vet. Yeah. How's the dog fit into this picture? Like how did, when did the dog come into the household? Uh, I got him around the same time I got Robert. And luckily those uh -huh. two get along very well. Uh -huh. That's nice. Uh -huh. He's a little crazy though. He's like a, pit bull slash border collie uh -huh. so very energetic and crazy uh -huh. so do you have <laughs> do you have a, a yard or do you go out with him a lot or how do you how do you help him express some of that energy in a positive way 
Yeah, I take him for walks or, you know, I let him run around the yard. He's pretty good. He won't run away or anything. Mm-hmm. I just have to be careful because if he sees a stranger, he will go crazy and bark at them a lot. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's interesting with his breed mix that he is still dominated by a cat. <laughs> yeah, it's so bizarre. Like he acts like he's, you know, the tough guy all go crazy and bark every time somebody walks in the door, even if it's uh-huh. just me. But then he sees my cat Henry and he just puts his tail between his legs and runs and hides. <laughs> oh, poor baby. Because I was thinking, yeah. well, you know, border collies are, are herding dogs and pit bulls, of yeah. course. Pit bulls to me are really interesting because from my perspective, they have this such sweet smile on their face, you know, just the yeah. way that their, their heads are. They're so cute. And then they have this reputation from people who have treated them unkindly to make them do things that are, you know, aggressive. And it's like, ah, but they, they, they you know, when, when people have had, when I have, people I know who have pits who are, you know, well-treated from puppyhood on, they're sweet dogs. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. If you raise one from a puppy, it'll probably be fine. Mm -hmm. I love pit bulls. That's cool. See, this is something you have in common with poet Rob Plath. Did you know that? No, I did not know that. Rob Plath, who is a poet, photographer, painter, mostly known for his poetry. There's a whole story about Rob Plath and poetry in Epic Rights Press. But Rob volunteers with the pit bull rescue in New York City. That's oh, that's so saying. cool. It is very cool. Very cool. Yeah. He, yeah, and, I definitely did not know that. Yeah, and one of the, <laughs> he, one of the like, some of the merch, I don't remember exactly what the rescue is called, but but their, their, uh, one of their shirt, T-shirt things is something to the effect of castrate owners, not dogs. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God, I love that. Because <laughs> it's so intense. I would wear that shirt. (laughs) (laughs) So we we were talking before I I brought us back to your guitar and then your pets. We were talking about poetry from your book, Zeller's Alley. And we didn't really talk about um, ways that people can buy it. And so I'm asking this as a question. Um, At this point, can people get it through White Gorilla Press or is really Amazon the place to go to? Um, I mean, if you go to the White Gorilla Press website, there's a link, but it'll just redirect you to Amazon. So Uh, you might as well just, yeah, you might as well either just go on Amazon or you can get it from my website and I'll send you a signed copy. Oh, cool. Okay, so listeners, did you hear that? When you buy it through the BGL website, you can get it signed and not just get it, but get it signed. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) So tell us a little bit about your website, because either I don't know how to negotiate it or there's not a lot on it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, uh, there's really not much on it at all. It's a picture of me with a bunch of social media links, and then there's a link to buy my book. Uh-huh. Yeah, I don't know. I've always been attracted to like minimal things. So I uh-huh. wanted to make a website that just has pretty much nothing on it. <laughs> okay. Okay. And so tell people exactly what the URL is. And I will also have this in the link about the show. Um, excuse me, in the info about the show. It's just my name is B.net. My name is B.net. So did you hear that, listeners? Yep. We said it twice, and again, it'll be on the Facebook Talk With Me page, and I'm sure it's on the BDL Facebook author page and other places. But to buy the book yep. directly from you and get it signed, that that is really cool. That is really cool. And it's free shipping. All right. <laughs> it's all included. Do we get Ginzy knives too? Just kidding. <laughs> There's more. <laughs> So, so you had mentioned earlier on that you discovered White Gorilla Press and you sent them your manuscript and they said, yeah. So yep. did you did you have that manuscript and were getting ready to shop it around? You know, have you, and the reason I'm asking that is I'm wondering, are you close to another book in terms of a release, looking for publishers, that kind of stuff? 
Uh, well, my first book, Zeller's Alley, I did send it to uh, two other publishers first. I didn't hear anything back, you know, mm-hmm. no rejection, just nothing. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, well, I didn't just send my manuscript to White Gorilla because that would be kind of rude, but I, I queried, you know, I sent right. an email and I was like, hey, uh, would you be interested in uh, reading a sample of my book? Mm-hmm. I sent him a little bio and he was like, yeah, I just sent him like the first 30 pages and he really mm-hmm. liked it. And then said he wanted to read the whole thing and then he said he wanted to publish it mm-hmm. and as for a second book I uh I do have a second book written I'm just currently uh editing mm-hmm. and I'm not sure what I'm going to do as far as publishing it yet but I want to have it out early next year mm-hmm. I might uh put this one out myself I think mm-hmm. I want to do that okay when you're doing the book and you're looking for poets to review like how did how do you do that part because I think that's really interesting too I know when I when I pick up a book or yeah I would say when I pick up a book whether it's in the library or in a bookstore I look at you know so who who said what about this book you know if it's if it's not that I don't know so how do you how do you decide who to ask to read and review for you you know write a little blurb for the back of your book um, well, I knew I needed some blurbs, but uh-huh. I wasn't going to send my book to like, you know, Billy Collins or something like that. Uh-huh. Um, I figured I'd send it to more, you know, underground poets that I really love and that I read all the time. Mm-hmm. And, uh, luckily the first three that I reached out to were just totally down to do it. And they did. So it wasn't like a crazy epic search to find blurbs. It was just like, Hey, you three. And they're like, okay. <laughs> so That's it worked out. Cool. Yeah. Yeah, because as as I mentioned, I think I mentioned this before we were actually recording. I apologize if I did it while we were recording, but but you know one of the things that I noticed when I looked at your book was Rob Plath, and and obviously I've mentioned Rob several times, so he's somebody <laughs> who, who uh, I I find as an important voice in in poetry and in, in other art, and um, so that meant a lot to me. It's like wow, because. When somebody that I have that much respect for is saying really good things about a writer, I think I want to read this person's work for sure. You know, and and I don't know, I don't know how it is. I was thinking in part because you had mentioned that you do have some, you know, it's, it's social stuff is a little difficult for you, and and I realize yeah. that this isn't face to face social, but it's like shit, I'm going to ask somebody and they might say no. I have to be prepared for them to say yes or no. And Yeah, and actually uh, Rob Plath was probably the most awkward one because he was the only one of those three that I'd never talked to in my life uh-huh. before. Uh-huh. I just sent him an email and I was like, hey man, I really love your poetry and uh-huh. would you be interested in writing a blurb for this book? And he was like, yeah man, I'll check it out. And then a couple weeks later, just super casually, like he messaged me not even through email, like on Twitter or something. Uh-huh. And he was just like, hey, man, here's your blurb. Here you go. <laughs> Very cool. Very cool. Okay, yeah, it's awesome. And another poet that we talked about, Damon Ritchie. So you're sometimes doing his open mic in New Jersey, right? Yeah. Yeah. Are you guys sometimes doing some featured stuff together? Or how does that work? Yeah, we've done so many readings together like um i'm hoping to do more because apparently he's going to be moving to kansas city yeah that's what i've heard so uh i'm hoping to hang out with him and do as many readings with him as possible before he goes you know it uh-huh. sucks but yeah but he's chasing his dreams and uh-huh. i respect that uh-huh. <laughs> well we just sent to kansas city put jameson bales your way you know not not quite where you are but close enough so you know maybe yeah. maybe that's the trade we're swapping Damien and and Jameson. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's a lot of a lot of people have made it possible for them to travel and you know there are a lot of poets it amazes me the number of poets who are you know performing in different parts of the country. Um and yeah. this is again where I say to listeners you know tip the tip jar buy the books because it's not like there's some huge travel fund for poets to go perform, you know? They're yeah, there's really not. Time, you know, you're you're leaving your day job for those number of days 
you know, you're, you're paying the travel expenses and, you know, whatever form of travel, you know, ideally you've got somebody who's willing to help you with, you know, housing when you get certain places, but there are hotel rooms and meals out and all that kind of stuff. So, so people who are traveling to perform are not only, you know, doing the, the actual gift of their time and words, but they are having to spend money to do that. <laughs> yeah, it's definitely not easy. Like uh, Damien really wants me to come read in Kansas City next uh-huh. year. So uh-huh. if I can afford it, I'll definitely yeah. do it. <laughs> There's a great, and I, I imagine he was telling you about the, the poetry throwdown that happens during April Poetry Month. At Prospero's books yeah. in the city, a three-day event that is amazing, and yeah. people coming in from literally all parts of the country as as featured performers. Um, it's really a great opportunity to hear people to for poets to meet each other, and and also because there are, for lack of a better word, I'll say generations of poets involved. You know, I think about. Bill Gaynor, who's one of those poets who's been around since the 60s and yeah. is, um, lives in, based in Northern California. Bill was one of the features. George Wallace, who's from New York. I mean, so literally there were people from across the country who came in for this this past April um, 2017 um, and wonderful long careers with poetry and very, very open to meeting younger poets. And, you know, I, I think about, I don't know if you've we've heard um, Todd Cirillo, who's with Six Swell, Six Feet Swells Press. Todd is a poet based in mm-hmm. New Orleans and he had a time living in Northern California and was kind of mentored by George, excuse me, by uh, Bill Gaynor. And so it's like these connections and, and those poetry events that are big poetry events nurture that because you get that face time with people it's very cool yeah it's so cool i was looking yeah. at the list of all the poets that were at that thing and i was yeah. like wow look at all yeah. these people yeah. a lot of yeah. them were like poets that i read so yeah i was like oh man i really got to get out to one of these things yeah yeah so we're winding down into the last few minutes of the show and i wonder if you would like to share one more poem to remind people that they can go to your website and buy the book with your signature. So how about another poem from Zellers? Sure, let's see. I gotta pick one. (laughs) Uh... Okay, I'm feeling very lazy. So how about I read a very short one? Okay. All right, this one is called Summer, Post Breakup. Even when I dig my teeth into the juiciest plum from the tree, I can only think about the inevitable rotting. And that's it. Yeah. Getting to the haiku type of poetry. Yes. Yes, yeah, yes, yes. Close. Yes. Yeah. Well, thank you for joining me for a talk with me. It's Yeah, it's thanks for really, having me. Yeah, it's been fun. It's been great to hear you read your own poetry. To me, that's one of those special things to hear the words in the poet's voice and listeners then to go and have those words on the page and be able to look at them again. And because of the last poem that you shared, I want to to remind people of something that I um, heard that relates to that, you know, because having that book having that page having that paper um, and being able to really focus on it here's what i want to share we think that we can multitask but the truth is our brains don't really do that and so the description that i have heard that resonates for me so much is that trying to do a whole bunch of things at one time is like eating a prune compared to eating juicy plum and all that dripping on you when you're focused on just one thing. So I'm going to encourage people to buy the book Zeller's Alley and experience that opportunity to savor that one thing. Look at those words. Think about the poems that you heard me read on this show today. Go back to the show and listen to them again, you know, Um, buy the book. Thank you so much. Thank you.
Mm -hmm. And so long to our listeners. <laughs>